This is Meaning What. I'm Matt Wiseman. Today we're going to talk about the debates that are taking place in Cleveland, Ohio on Tuesday. It's the first of the three presidential debates and there'll be one vice presidential debate. The president, Donald Trump, will be against the um, competitor here, Joe Biden. Uh, The first debate will be with Chris Wallace. I just wanted to give you a little primer so you know what to expect. So that's what this is. Chris Wallace will be having... He's already told us the subjects he's going to be covering. And what we can expect from him as a moderator is that he uh, he's pretty good as a reporter and he'll selectively push back on things. And it kind of depends on his mood. So I expect him to be fair, but I think what we need to pay attention to is what he won't talk about and what he doesn't say, and what he won't really push back on. A lot of these things have to do with time, but also the venue, right? So these venues are actually put together by the Election Commission, which is a privately funded, private public funded thing. So this is already a kind of propaganda mission to begin with, and that is the way American debates are actually done. Just to be aware of that, and Chris Wall also be an agent in that. That being said, Chris Wallace will be talking about these subjects, Trump and Biden's records, political records, the Supreme Court, the COVID-19 pandemic, the economy, race and violence in our cities, and the integrity of the election. The expectations I have um, that Trump will continue to be a chaos agent running to pour into the fire to throw more fuel on the fire and that Biden will push his return to decency and normalcy with his kind of um, civility politics and, you know, platitudes, which neoliberals are known for and great at. Uh, Look at Pete Buttigieg. He's the future of the party, according to Joe Biden. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through each of these topics and then have the expectations of how they're going to talk about each of the topics, both Trump and then Biden. Um, I'd also give you a little bit of an overview of these topics selected as to the context and what it means. First, the political records. Trump doesn't have much of a political record, so he's going to talk about the past uh, three years, maybe four years. Uh, he's going to talk about how strong the economy was and possibly is, you know, during the pandemic. All the promises kept, like the wall he built and how he was uh, hard on immigrants. The Supreme Court, because what Republican doesn't like to brag about the Supreme Court? What he won't likely talk about um, is his corruption or his uh, his shift from possible right-wing nationalistic populist into a libertarian in policies and how most of the people that were heterodox that he had brought in with his populist movement actually were the people that he let go. And the only one that seems to have survived is Stephen Miller, who is the um, inheritor of this and pusher of the, the lot of the white supremacy uh, policies and the harsh policies against immigrants, which he's going to be touting, I guarantee you. 
he will likely talk about the trade war with China, and he will talk about um, no expanded wars. I don't know if he'll get pushback and perhaps have to bring up the Iranian strike of uh, Qasim Soleimani, um, which made me want to start this whole project. Uh, it's just so offensive. So those are going to be his victories. He's going to talk about the strength of America and how it's so much stronger now. Blah, 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 blah. The same, um, I'm great, America's great, everybody else that says otherwise is an enemy or a rival. Uh, but that's what people like about Trump. Biden will, um, will have to face some of these things. He's going to try and distance himself from his previous incarnation because he has been this consummate neoliberal. And the neoliberalism in the U.S. has been his project as much as anybody's, as much as Hillary Clinton's and Bill Clinton's. Um, so he's going to have to do everything he can to maybe distance himself from the past and talk about, you know, this return to decency that he's trying to push, this return to civility, um, platitudes, 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 you know, blah, 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 talking points. But <clears throat> part of that is going to be NAFTA and how it was good, normalizing trade relations with China, um, trying to push TPP, and you might try and defend that, um, the street three strikes rule with the crime bill, which expanded our prisons, how we hollowed out the welfare program, how we tried to so cut social security. Um, the, he probably won't mention the corruption that is legal that him and his, uh, his brother and his son have benefited from greatly, uh, in Ukraine and in China. So, um, yeah, Biden's just going to spin all of that and he's going to shake it off and say, we need to talk about the future. And we need to get back to some kind of sense of things that are normal. When in actuality, he was this architect of the the world we're currently living in, the world which Donald Trump inhabits quite easily. And in fact, the um, the neoliberal project was born out of the uh, the Democratic Leadership Committee, which was funded by the Koch brothers. And now, a lot of the libertarian ideology that Trump is actually pushing and the the policies come directly from the Koch brothers. So. Uh, you know, another they're like the other oligarchs, right? So they are one and the same animal already. So that's their records. The Supreme Court, they will mention Roe versus Wade. Uh, Trump will mention Roe versus Wade and how he's going to overthrow it and they're going to make um, abortions illegal. And then he's going to kill the Affordable Health Care Act, uh, the Obamacare, and then you're going to have Biden who's going to say he's going to defend the ACA uh, and he's going to expand the ACA to include a public option. Uh, and he's going to talk about norms and civilities and the hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell and all of the GOP in the Senate and how they are going to they they held back on, on Merrick Gar Garland for months. But now it's going to be a matter of weeks and they're going to push through. Um, Andy Cohen Bryant, which is the nominee that was just announced for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. So she like died last week. So this is just going to be a rush job to get another conservative on there. Um, and Biden might get a question about packing the courts, whether they extend it from nine seats to 11 or 10, so they can have a, uh, a Democratic and some semblance of balance. Probably 11 would be more um, reasonable. But he said publicly he doesn't want to do that, so I don't think he'll bring that up. But if it gets brought upon him, he'll probably say that he doesn't want to do it. So that's the Supreme Court issue. That's what people are going to talk about, and we're going to live in a Republican world no matter what, which you've already done. 
Neither of them will talk about how the Supreme Court for over 40 years has been on the side of big business, has been on the libertarian side, has been on a, for basically enforcing a, a dual system where they never really vote for the worker in almost any way. Um, they've been selling out America and having this dual system where if you're rich, you can do anything you want and the courts will defend you all the way up to the Supreme Court. And if you're poor, we'll maybe throw you a bone sometimes, but most of the time, no, you're screwed. So that's the Supreme Court issue. Uh, next, they're going to go into the COVID-19, the pandemic. So this could go a number of ways, but I think that he's just going to talk about the response and then getting it under control. And, and um, Chris Wallace is going to keep it to that, while Trump is going to continue his rhetoric of outright denial and say that everything is good and we're going to have maybe herd mentality or immunities, which we assume he means, so that um, it all is put in the past. He's going to, of course, say that that got a strong economy and um, he's going to lie and tell you how good things are and everything's been great for people and maybe for rich people that he knows that's what it's been. And you know, he's given them tons of money. But the stock market's been growing while people are getting unemployment. There's been hunger issues, food insecurity and housing insecurity. So uh, he even did the the um, the executive order on on uh, the moratorium, you know, the moratorium on, on housing, the housing evictions. And that's only with federal funding. So he knows that there's a problem, but he's not going to say it. He wants to win. Right. And this is his weakest point. So. It's going to be outright denial and lies, and then he's going to shift the blame to blue cities, blue states. So expect that from Trump. He's just spin, all spin, all the time. And there's no idea of consequence because he doesn't care. Biden's going to say um, he trusts science, he's going to let the scientists lead. He might talk about a mask mandate. I doubt it. I think he'll just say, I encourage masks, I wear masks. Um, he does have a federal jobs program that he's floated for contact tracers and testing. Uh, so there, there is these things he wants to get done. Um, uh, I think that might just be a bone he throws. But if he pushes it, then that's great because he's going to be pushing more of a um, kind of big government intervention and, and rising to the occasion to some degree. I don't know if they'll talk about a stimulus. I think that will have to come from Chris Wallace, another stimulus program. Uh, but it's not likely we're going to see one. Definitely not now from this Congress. Uh, he, he's going to say strong leadership. We need strong leadership. And we need to trust the scientists. And um, he's got a national program he's pushed early on in his campaign, in the, in the uh, presidential campaign, not the primary, where he's going to, he said he would nationalize this production of supplies before maybe pushing for TPP again. So, he can go to that way. I don't know how much he's going to. He has backed away from really saying too much generally. So it'd be interesting if he actually does push for uh, a mass mandate, a federal jobs program, or a national production. But we'll see. The next issue is the economy. Trump will say it's never been better. You know, everything was great before the pandemic. And I've seen his spokespeople say this, um, that we, we are great even during the pandemic, that he's only looking at the stock market and he's not looking at the human cost. Um, he'll say things like, we, we saved the economy. It was terrible. Or we're recovering. We just need to open it all up. Uh, that, you know, and if they're pushed on the, uh, the pandemic, he'll say herd immunity, right? 
what Biden will uh, he'll be. He said the the economy is good, but we need to we have problems we need to deal with and change the subject. Right. He'll move it to um, back to the COVID-19 and the pandemic response. He'll try and stay vague because he doesn't really have a lot of answers for this. Uh, and just so you all know, the actual situation is there's like 30 million people that are going to lose their insurance or are already without their insurance. They've lost their jobs. There's 20% of the workforce is out of work. We are in a Great Depression. Um, there's going to be a homeless crisis. There's going there, there's already this, uh, this issue of food insecurity, housing insecurity. Uh, small and medium businesses, 60% of them have closed, if not more. So we are in bad straits, and I doubt they'll even be asked about that, much less bring it up themselves, just so you know. So race and violence in our cities. There has been conjecture about whether we should separate these two things. You know, the race issue is an issue unto itself, and it really needs its own attention. But the violence issue is is the law and order issue, and, and a lot of the violence will probably be pushed onto the, the protesters as the media has made it. Um, saying that that looting is violence or saying that, um, you know, the destruction of property is, is relative to the destruction of people or the harm of people, the harm of property, um, when it's really just trying to, to and this is age-old uh, spin on what a protest is. If you have outward dissent in the streets, they're going to try and quiet your dissent by saying you're causing destruction. And I think it was like 5% of people that are out there are actually doing any kind of destruction or rioting yet there's been murders um, by the police and there's been murders by right-wing people you know there's been a one or two public murders in the opposite direction and, and harm but majority of these people that are actually out there protesting are peaceful so trump will say it's the blue st- blue states the blue cities chaos you know i've done great things with them i've i've you know had my federal officers go in there and we've taken care of them. If, if only the cities and states would let us. I'm the law and order president. And then Joe Biden will also go, I'm the law and order president. What we need is a need a, a kinder, gentler police force. We need to fund them more, give them more money so they can be community oriented and they could just change their perspective and everything will be hunky-dory and flowers. We need to talk to the people that are aggrieved. They have a real reason to be aggrieved and we need to listen. And he's going to try and calm tensions by doing that, you know, the civility and platitudes that Joe Biden is known for, that neoliberals are known for. But in actuality, when it comes down to it, nothing will fundamentally change, which is what Biden promised his um, supporters, his his funders at dinners. So we know that neither of them will talk about defunding the police unless it's an attack. Neither will address inequality or systemic racism. Neither will address the militarization and the lawlessness of police and the federal officers. Neither of them will address white supremacy. Trump might have some dog whistles if you're paying attention. Neither of them will address unequal treatment under the law between the law enforcement officers and the marginalized people. And let's face it, we're talking about black people, the black people that have been hurt by them. You could say black and brown, but you're kind of muddying the waters. What we're talking about is... This is a a movement for black people that is trying to say black people deserve to live, that black people deserve rights that are equal to everybody else, and they deserve equal protection under the law. And that's really the core of this. And we have to look at the examples, and the majority of the people that have been killed 
have been killed by police here. And they were black people and they were unarmed. And that's a problem. And that's what we're looking at. And that's what these protests are about. You know, from uh, Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, so many others. It's just, it's overwhelming even to think about it, but we need to address it. Uh, then there's the unequal treatment under the law between the nonviolent dissenters that are actually out there protesting that are largely young people of color and the counter-protesters that are supplementing and replacing the, the law enforcement officers that are mostly armed white militias. Um, and these are some examples of these are the Proud Boys or the Boogaloo Boys, etc. Or even early on when you had the protesters about the lockdown that were in Michigan, um, these were armed white men that went to the, the, the uh, federal courthouse, federal state house, sorry, and where Gretchen Whitmer has her office, and they were, you know, hanging effigies. I think it was a Barbie doll. So um, the last issue is election integrity. So this wouldn't be an issue in a normal election, but I think it, it was put into place because Trump is using it as a way to win, which is actually what the GOP does every single time. Uh, and honestly, that's what the Democrats do. If it's um, anything from purging the voter rolls or if it's uh, disqualifying mail-in ballots, like the primary here, uh, I'm in New York City, the, the primary in New York City happened and it was mostly it was a blue state blue city you know very blue place and they disqualified something like 200,000 uh, mail-in ballots because they have to be before the election day well the issue is with New York City that's a New York state law the New York City law is they actually mailed everybody prepaid postage envelopes and the post office does not postmark prepaid envelopes so everybody that got one in New York and sent it back, did everything right, were disqualified. So that's not a, just a Republican thing to, to purge the voter rolls, to disenfranchise, take away the rights of, of prisoners to vote. We are a country in the world that says we believe in democracy, yet we take away people's right to vote. And that has an ugly history, and it is not essential we only do it so because people in power think that they will not get in power or stay in power unless they cheat. And that's what it is. This is cheating. So the issue of election integrity. Uh, Trump will say there's problems with the ballots, like he said publicly already, that all of the mail-in ballots are wrong and that the only, the only legitimate uh, voting is an in-person voting. I don't know about early voting. I don't know if he's going to say, like, the count needs to stop on election day because it takes them a while to count all the stuff before. And there's all these weird state laws that prevent them from doing things actually that prevent confusion, but they actually create confusion. Um, he'll probably overlook absentee balloting because he has said that absentee balloting and does vote absentee often, that uh, that's legitimate. And he but it's almost exactly the same as um, mail-in balloting, so he is, um, he's not wrong that there's problems there, but to say that they're all illegitimate is a ridiculous claim. 
and we can do things to make them legitimate. But he uh, he and the GOP have rejected that. And honestly, the, the Democrats haven't pushed for it. They haven't pushed for it by itself. They haven't said it's a priority. They, they put it together in, in the, um, not the CARES Act, because CARES 1 and 2 passed easily. It was the, uh, the other one after that that they knew was never about the Helpers, Heroes Act, the Heroes Act. That's what it was. Um, and they just rejected the whole thing. They was, it was a policy messaging bill. They expected it to be rejected. And they haven't done anything to ensure the elections at all federally. So we've seen our national politicians just screw the pooch. They've lost this. They've, they've totally blew it on COVID-19. They've totally blew it on election integrity. So we're going to all live with the results. But this is the situation. They have teams of lawyers on both sides. And they're going to use the courts to legislate because they don't trust elections. Um, he might get a, a question about, well, Biden will say, I'm doing my best to defend democracy and the right to vote, which is, you know, platitude. He's not doing anything. He's not leading at all. He is um, part of the establishment and he's just talking into the void, um, whether he's in his basement and giving selective interviews. He's he's not leading. You know, somebody like Bernie Sanders is in the Senate and he is he's making pleas and he's he's putting town halls together and he's trying to do as much as he can. Bernie Sanders is leading. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't lead, but he's going to say he's going to lead. And he's going to say that he's, he's, he's going to defend democracy. In actuality, you know, the, the democratic party sued in Pennsylvania to get the green party off of the ballot. So they are not leading. If you, if you are actually saying they're keeping track, like who's, who's more corrupt and who's actually going more democratically you know, trying to go against the, the democratic electoral process. Um, well, the GOP seems to be more successful at that, but they're both going that in that direction. So it's not like Joe Biden is the opposite of Donald Trump. He's just the less successful or more covert version of whatever the GOP are doing. It's because the GOP is shameless. Um, and then if uh, for some reason Chris Wallace talks about the transition, should Trump lose um, the peaceful transition of power that he, he, he rejected earlier. Trump will likely say, I'm consistent that I've said this in 2016, that in 2016, I will see what happens and I'm not going to commit to anything. And that's, that has been his position. Um, and I will win. So it's a non-issue as long as the, the votes are, you know, counted on election day, he's always going to put some kind of arbitrary system on there. So he has some ground to wiggle. But he knows he's fighting and he knows he's going to play dirty. But they both know that. So they both have teams of lawyers. Neither of them <laughs> will talk about election integrity, which is um, the problems we have and that they need to face it. That, that the federal government needs to pay attention to the United States Postal Service and actually needs to fund them and make sure they're working properly. They Neither of them will focus on how the roles have been purged and that that has taken people who have similarly sounding names off of the rolls. You know, if your name is John Smith, you're pretty popular, but there's more than one John Smith and you don't need to be all taken off the rolls. Um, they won't talk about the funding issue for uh, state elections for a federal election. So this is coming from the states and there's all these problems where there's inconsistency. They won't talk about how they didn't fund things for COVID-19 so that you can have appropriate mail-in ballots. There was only two states in all 50 that were actually doing mail-in ballots as a rule. Um, they won't talk about the unequal treatment from state to state and all the discrepancies and how it makes it just a patchwork system. 
They won't talk about how some states, you know, most of them are winner take all in the Electoral College, where uh, if you win by 51% of the vote and the other person gets 49% of the vote, your 51 takes all of the electoral delegates and therefore you win the entire state. Well, that's not democratic. That's not relative to the will of the people. And how much do you actually care about those things? Uh, That being said, what are they going to do about neither of them will talk about the Electoral College, getting rid of it. Neither of them will talk about ranked choice voting, which now just rolled out in Maine, and they're going to be using it for the election, the senatorial election, and then they're also going to be using it for the um, presidential election. And they're not going to talk about the low turnout. You know, at best, we have like 60% of the people are voting in America. They could have compulsory voting. They could have incentivizing it. They could make it a national holiday. They could have free transportation there. They can make it easy. Right now, we don't have enough polls for the people we even expect. So if you actually had everybody that wanted to vote would vote, and everybody that could vote would vote, um, we would be overwhelmed and we would not be able to have that. But even as you see it now with the primaries that happened, like in, in Dallas, there was an issue. And even in California, they... They just didn't have enough poll places. They didn't have enough poll workers. They didn't have enough machines. So people were waiting in line for hours, eight, nine, ten hours trying to place their vote. And that's unacceptable. And that is undemocratic. And that's a very, very basic situation in in a democracy that you need to have elections and you need to have one person have one vote. And that's not something either of them really want. So they're not going to talk about that. So let me surmise. Um, there are these issues, these issues of uh, the records, their political records, and maybe they'll go into the the tax stuff that just came out. I'm not sure. There's are issues of the political records, the Supreme Court, the uh, pandemic, the economy, health, uh, race and violence in our cities, and the integrity of our elections. Those are the issues that Chris Wallace said he'll talk about. I don't know if he'll add on to that or expand upon that now with recent developments. Um, The top three issues in this election are definitely COVID-19, the pandemic, and uh, and a response to it. The economy, um, both the fake economy of the stock market that affects less than 10% of the population, if if even 5% of the population. And the real economy of people's lost wages, lost uh, lost jobs, lost health care, all of these other things that, you know, the, the pending uh, eviction crisis, the food insecurity, the end of um, small and medium business as we know it, all of those things are part of the real economy and they're not reflected in the stock market. So that metric isn't the economy at large. And that is something people have only looked at as a sign that we are successful or not. So the pandemic, the economy, and lastly, um, the the race, the racism in our country, uh, racial issues. So um, you could also say there's a healthcare crisis. So I don't want to overlook that because he didn't bring it up, but there's a healthcare crisis. So there's top four. Uh, the healthcare crisis is is serious, and since it's linked to employment, and now a lot of people are unemployed. We're going to have a healthcare crisis during a pandemic. And people have to worry if they're going to have these bills. You know, there's a $10,000 bill one guy got for a test that cost $97 or something. 
uh, for COVID-19. And it's just unacceptable. You know, we we have problems in the U.S., like real problems. And that's what this, this uh, the racism issue in this uh, in this election and in our streets is a real problem. And people are talking about their right to live, not even doing well, not their welfare, not their livelihoods, their right to live. And they do not have a guarantee protection under the law that their lives will be protected. In fact, you know, they've always made this excuse that it's it's more like gang violence and we have to be like a gang or whatever to protect them because, you know, people that are black and brown and marginalized, they all are going to hurt each other. And that's just racism for one. But two, it is not true. The majority of violence at all times comes from the the state violence actors. You know, the suppression force is what we've used our police for. We don't use them to to react to crime. They're not just a reactionary force. They're not there to to help people or get a kitten out of the tree or something. Police come to control. They are the force of the government. And that extension of that is uh, federal forces, is the Army and the Navy and the Pentagon and all this. And when we have a situation where we are hiring ex-armed uh, force uh, veterans from uh, ex-U.S. veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq and what have you, um, if we hire them to become police officers, they were trained how to kill by the U.S., uh, by these armed forces, by, by, our, by our own government. Kill, kill the enemy. And that's what they do. And then they're given the same guns on the streets when they come back. And they're said, no, now we're not going to kill them anymore. Now we're, we're training to, to help people and control them. Well, the distinction gets lost very easily. And you could even see the situation where, you know, people used to be saying going postal was going crazy. So PTSD, and then you'd have people that were hired in the postal service that were veterans and they were given preferential treatment. A lot of veterans get certain kinds of preferential treatment. But we know that veterans are often also ignored when they come back from war, when they come back from their service. And I'm not trying to badmouth veterans at all. I'm just saying that we have a problem with how in the world the U.S. uses force to solve things and even perpetuate a kind of profit motive um, because we don't have really wars as a last resort we are preemptively going to war and we have learned to accept that but that is awful awfully convenient for those who are in the war manufacturing business and also for those who are protecting their foreign interests with u.s taxpayer dollars and u.s lives um because they're not the people that are actually signing up to go and their kids are not the ones going but the U.S. government is on behalf of these uh, rich and powerful. Um, and we are sacrificing our people and our welfare and whatever good name we had to, to perpetuate imperial dominion. But we do that to ourselves in the form of the police force. And it has been out of control. And the unions have given them immunity. You know, uh, it... it, it it's long been a rule that if you give your police force any additional rule uh, privileges beyond being police and beyond being citizens, that you are actually already encouraging force and you are encouraging a, a tiered system of enforcement. 
Now we've given our police officers untold privileges, including the right to kill. And that comes from strong unions, and I am very pro-union, but that is not right. The purpose of unions is to secure decent livable wages for their members and to secure their safety while on the job. Now, if there is a problem with gun violence and the trauma from gun violence and the accountability from gun violence while in the law of duty, because the line of duty, because they feel like they're under um, under the gun, like their 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 lives are in jeopardy and they need to preemptively kill somebody. Even if that's not true and that's just the defense they use, then you need to advocate not for immunity for killing people but you need to advocate for them not to have any guns anymore. And this has happened. This is what happened in Japan. We took away all their guns, but also in the United Kingdom. You know, you take people's guns away, especially peace officers or law officers, and they don't have the option to kill people that they are scared of. I don't know. This is a... a, It's kind of got enough around tangent, but... The major issues are going to be um, the economy and COVID-19. If we're lucky, we can talk about health care and we can talk about uh, racism in America because we do have a systemic racism problem. We do have an overfunding of the police and underfunding of other social services. And that has been intentional. And Joe Biden has been one of the major architects of that for many years. So... I don't know if we'll get to that, but they're definitely going to talk about the economy and um, and the pandemic. So thank you for bearing with me. I hope that you found this informative. Uh, I take any feedback. Uh, if you have it, you can uh, write me at meaningwhatradio at gmail.com. And thank you so much.